It is the Healthy Families Podcast, and I am your host, Jenny Hatch. So much going on over the weekend, I hardly know where to begin. But since President Biden just gave a speech announcing that the economy is thriving and everything is fine, I thought that might be a good place to begin. We also had Janet Yellen on with Margaret yesterday, also announcing the economy is fine, nothing to worry about. So I'm going to play a clip from her as well. Because, you know, it's just good for our politicians to step up and reassure the nation. Isn't that what we all need today on this day when markets are roiling and all things feel like they are in commotion? We need our politicians and economic leaders to step up to the plate and directly address the nation on what is what. And boy, did they ever. So first up, Joe Biden, a couple hours ago. Before I uh, leave for California, I want to briefly speak about what's happening in Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank. Today, thanks to the quick action of my administration over the past few days, Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. Small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. And their hardworking employees can breathe easier as well. Last week, when we learned of the problems of the banks and the impact they could have on jobs of small businesses, and the banking system overall, I instructed my team to act quickly to protect these interests. They've done that. They've done that. On Friday, the government regulator in charge, the FDIC, took control of Silicon Valley Bank's assets. And over the weekend, it took control of Signature Bank's assets. Treasury Secretary Yellen and the team of banking regulators have taken action, immediate action. And here are the highlights. First, all customers who had deposits in these banks can rest assured, I want to rest assured they'll be protected and they'll have access to their money as of today. That includes small businesses across the country that bank there and need to make payroll, pay their bills, and stay open for business. No losses will be, and I'm on, this is an important point, no losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Let me repeat that. No losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Instead, the money will come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund. Because of the actions of that because of the actions that our regulators have already taken, every American should feel confident that their deposits will be there if and when they need them. Second, the management of these banks will be fired. If the bank is taken over by FDIC, the people running the bank should not work there anymore. Third, investors in the banks will not be protected. They knowingly took a risk, and when the risk didn't pay off, investors lose their money. That's how capitalism works. And fourth, there are important questions of how these banks got into the circumstance in the first place. We must get the full accounting of what happened and why those responsible can be held accountable. In my administration, no one, in my no one is above the law. And finally, we must reduce the risk of this happening again. During the Obama-Biden administration, we put in place tough requirements on banks like Silicon Valley Bank and Signature Bank, including the Dodd-Frank law to make sure that the crisis we saw in 2008 
would not happen again. Unfortunately, the last administration rolled back some of these requirements. I'm going to ask Congress and the banking regulators to strengthen the rules for banks to make it less likely this kind of bank failure would happen again and to protect American jobs and small businesses. Look, the bottom line is this. Americans can rest assured that our banking system is safe. Your deposits are safe. Let me also assure you, we will not stop at this. We'll do whatever is needed on top of all that. Let's also take a look at a moment to put the situation in a broader context. We've made strong economic progress in the past two years. We've created more than 12 million new jobs, more jobs in two years than any president has ever created in a single four-year term. Unemployment is below 4% for 14 straight months. Take-home pay for workers is going up, especially for lower and middle-income workers. And we've seen record numbers of people apply to start new businesses, more than 10 million of them, more than 10 million applications over the last two years starting businesses. Now we need to keep the program, this progress going. That's what swift action that my administration over the past few years is all about. Protecting depositors, protecting the banking system, protecting the economic gains we've made together for the American people. Thank you. God bless you. And may God protect our troops. See you in California. Mr. President, what do you know right now about why this happened? And can you assure Americans that there won't be a ripple effect? Do you expect other banks to fail, Mr. President? So he didn't stick around to answer any questions. Typical Joe Biden. He walked out. But he's got a plane to catch. He's going to California. So we need to just let him go do his presidential duties and leave it to his administration to get to the bottom of this. He already did a bit of foreshadowing. It's all Trump's fault. He put in some easement on regulations, and that's why this happened. It had nothing to do with anything else. It was all Trump's fault. You're already seeing that in the stories that are being published online today. So we need to hear from Janet Yellen, who was on Meet the Press yesterday. And she, too, had some some words to the effect that the taxpayers will not be hosed this time. And those who've done evil deeds will be held accountable. And uh, so here's Janet Yellen yesterday on Meet the Press. I, I want to get straight to it because the markets will soon reopen for trading. Does the government need to intervene and take emergency measures because of SVB's failure? Well, let me say America's economy relies on a safe and sound banking system that can provide for the credit needs of our households and businesses. So whenever a bank, especially one like Silicon Valley Bank with billions of dollars uh, in deposits fails, it's clearly a concern. Um, from the standpoint of depositors, many of which may be small businesses, uh, they rely on access to their funds to be able to um, pay the bills that they have. And they employ tens of thousands of people across the country. We've been hearing from those, we've been hearing from those depositors and other concerned people this weekend. So let me say that I've been working all weekend with our banking regulators to design appropriate uh, policies to address this situation. I can't really provide further details at this time. But what I do want to do yeah. is emphasize that the American banking system 
is really um, safe and well capitalized. It's resilient. Can you say whether these problems were unique to, to Silicon Valley Bank or can you say whether there will be other regional bank failures? Well, look, let me just say that we want to make sure that the troubles that exist at one bank don't create contagion uh, to others that are sound. And um, a goal always of supervision and regulation is to make sure that contagion can't, uh, can't occur. Your counterpart in the United Kingdom has said that the government there has ruled out a bailout of the UK arm of Silicon Valley Bank. Have you also ruled out that kind of government intervention? Well, let me be clear that um, during the financial crisis, um, there were um, investors um, and owners of systemic large banks that were bailed out and we're certainly not looking and uh, the reforms that have been put in place means that we're not going to do that again but we are concerned about depositors and are focused on uh, trying to meet their needs do you expect a deal or something to happen that can reassure the markets before asia opens tonight and u.s markets open tomorrow we certainly are working to address this situation in a timely way. So again, that was Margaret, or Margaret, uh, Meet the Press, talking to Janet Yellen yesterday. And just looking at headlines at Real Clear Politics and other spaces around the internet, the steps that they took yesterday did not quell market fears. Everything's going bananas today. So just be aware of that. Buckle up. We don't know what's in front of us. It appears that several other banks have also folded. Perhaps Janet Yellen wasn't really aware of that when she said she didn't want systemic risk. Be that as it may, I don't feel reassured. If you do, great. But I, I can only hope that those who were insured through the FDIC get some of their money. It'd be great if they got all of their money. And even though she says they're going to get their money, it appears to me that the Biden administration has been much more focused on funding the Ukraine war and handing them billions and billions of dollars over any sort of deep concern they have for people here in America, especially those who are suffering in Ohio from the train derailment or people who are suffering under the high cost of living tied to inflation. Uh, there seems to be more concern over how the war is going and being funded than there is about our own people. So the hypocrisy is still sky high. I am not reassured, but you can take whatever reassurance you felt by hearing those two people speak. I'm gonna pivot over to another story that was really big this past week, and it's tied to the Twitter files hearing that happened on Capitol Hill on Friday. Uh, Dan Bongino had Matt Taibbi on his show to kind of flesh out more details of what happened during the hearing, and it's just an interesting five-minute take on, on what happened behind the scenes. Well, originally what we thought was going on was that uh, only the FBI and DHS maybe, and maybe a few other agencies were directly telling companies like Twitter to uh, pull down a few accounts here and there. Um, 
but as it uh, as time went on we learned that actually there's a whole complex of organizations and ngos a lot of them are state funded some of them are entirely state funded that are sending huge lists of names to these companies uh, and, and those are that's the primary route by which people are taken off uh, places like Twitter or Facebook or um, any social media site. Matt, libertarian-leaning conservatives like myself long been concerned about things like the Patriot Act because what happens is I think what you saw, and correct me if I'm wrong with the Twitter files, where it starts as, hey, we're trying to get rid of foreign interference in elections, and it morphs into, you know, Joey Bag of Donuts on the corner makes a tweet about the vaccine and finds himself, you know, in the doghouse. I mean, am I wrong in that analysis? No, that's absolutely the correct analysis because this this effort actually began with counterterrorism in 2015. Then it progressed to Russian foreign interference in 2016, 2017. And then next thing you knew, it was domestic violent extremism. And then what we found just this week, we found memos talking about uh, the desire to strike down true stories of um, vaccine side effects or true stories uh, that might uh, uh, encourage hesitancy, vaccine hesitancy. So they went from counterterrorism to going after true material within the space of a couple of years. Uh, so it's a small group of people at first, and now it's a really, really big pool of people that are, they're looking at. Matt, I want to play for you this is a quick clip. Obviously, you were there. You've seen it, but the audience may not have. You're the one who exposed this malfeasance, and stunningly, you became the focus of their ire. Here, take a look. If we can take off the tinfoil hat, that there's not a vast conspiracy. Are you being paid to be here today, either through consulting fees, <sighs> no, campaign contributions, your next not. run? Data was given to these so-called journalist before a snap. I'm not a so-called journalist. Uh, I've won the National Magazine Award, the I.F. Stone Award for Independent Journalism, and I've written 10 books, including four New York Times, New York Times bestsellers. Matt, this is disgusting. Tinfoil cap, you were, you were paid off. You're a so-called journalist, despite a resume uh, to die for. Uh, that, that, that had to bother you personally. Well, I expected that, but I think the thing that's extraordinary about what happened to both me and to Michael Schellenberger, the other witness, is they would never treat a New York Times reporter like that or a Washington Post reporter like that and suggest that it was somehow, you know, wrong for a reporter to make money, um, which was came out during the hearing. They asked me if I'd been paid to testify, which was totally outrageous. They called us a direct threat to people who opposed them. Uh, that's a that's very ominous language for the government to talk about with regard to journalists. And again, they would never do that with somebody they considered one of their own, uh, which, you know, a, a typical mainstream reporter. Um, so that, yeah, I think that was very, very disturbing what happened yesterday. Matt, you know, I don't know your politics. Frankly, I don't care. But I know you're a journalist, not a so-called journalist. And I really want to thank you. It's guys like you that are going to save this space, the journalism so today. So these stories that I'm highlighting today are all connected in the sense that COVID was hoisted on the world. It was not a lab leak. It was not from nature. That has been definitively proven by numerous studies around the world that if you have a virus that has been split and had a HIV and SARS component added to it, that does not happen in nature. 
That happens in a lab. And so why are the media sort of attacking Dr. Fauci, not necessarily attacking, but more open to pressing him on the fact that, that it could be a lab leak. And a lot of people are scratching their heads saying, what's, what's this Jim Acosta interviewing Fauci on CNN, trying to get the facts around that when uh, Fauci himself has been the one pushing that it happened in nature the most. I personally believe that COVID was hoisted on humanity starting in, in like 2017, 2018 in various places around the country. I think they actually used elements of this bioweapon on activists like me for years before they hoisted on humanity because of the, the symptoms all of us have had. Blood clots, aneurysms, all the things you're reading about in the press as side effects, many of the activist community have suffered with these symptoms for many years. I've been sick off and on for the better part of 15 years. And my vaccine activism has gone back to even 10 years before that, when I was being messed with on my computer, my computer was hacked over and over. Certain shows I did with various activists and truth tellers were hijacked and highly censored. And then I have also been escorted off social media multiple times. And so when, when COVID, COVID was hoisted on humanity, COVID designed in a bio lab, which I personally, they were designed in a Ukrainian bio lab and then passed along to Wuhan to be deployed around the world. Uh, I believe that was all funded by Dr. Fauci. So he knows exactly where this virus came from, how it developed, how it was spread. And then he's come to the rescue with this mandatory vaccine that's going to save the day, which, oh, by the way, has a crap ton of side effects that have really hurt people, killed people, destroyed babies in their mother's wombs, caused miscarriages, all sorts of problems with fertility for men and women. And then the side effects you read about various places, the myocarditis, the brain aneurysms, the mental illness, all of these things were predictable because of the history of the drug industrialists. This is what they do. The COVID experience was just them doing it on a worldwide scale. And because the American taxpayer is the one funding all of it, funding the research, funding the response to the outbreak, funding the vaccine, and then the vaccine damages. Well, the owners of those vaccine companies make a lot of money. I think the last I heard it was 11 billionaires that came up at Pfizer because of this. Oh, and they also have the cure. Oh, or you're having trouble with erectile dysfunction. We have another drug, Viagra. Viagra sales are off the charts the last couple of years because so many men have been rendered infertile, unable to engage in sex without the help of yet another drug. Do you see how this works? And if someone has a bum reaction to the vaccine and manages to make it through vaccine court, oh, here's the taxpayers paying for their health care, once again being hosed in the name of science. This is a scam. This is Armageddon. This is the end times when through the sorceries 
the people are being misguided. The people are being seduced. And there's an injunction in the book of Revelations from John the Revelator who said, come out of her, my people, quoting the Lord, come out of these Babylonian systems which are destroying your health. Do not partake of her plagues. These are literal plagues, end times plagues. Come out of her and be healed using God's methods. So the next interview is Jim Acosta with Dr. Fauci. I grabbed three clips. The whole interview was about 12 minutes and it was mostly Dr. Fauci in a defensive posture, which we're not used to seeing him like that. But as I said, Acosta was asking some good questions. And at one point, Tony Fauci became incredibly um, defensive about people calling for him to be arrested. Elon Musk, what's up with this? And, you know, methinks he doth protest too much, Dr. Fauci. You know exactly what's going on, what has happened, and what you deserve, which, you know, I'll leave it up to the, the courts to determine your fate. But this is a good interview by Acosta yesterday at CNN. The World Health Organization declared COVID-19 a pandemic. There's still no consensus on the origins of the virus that has killed nearly 7 million people worldwide, including more than 1 million Americans. The question is back in the spotlight in Washington. The House yesterday unanimously approved a bill to declassify U.S. intelligence information on the origins of the coronavirus. The Senate passed it earlier and the legislation now goes to President Biden's desk. It is not clear yet whether or not he will sign it. The president told reporters yesterday that he hasn't made that decision yet. A theory that the virus may have escaped from a lab in China has been a heated issue of this debate since early on in the pandemic. U.S. intelligence agencies are split on that. And joining us now to talk about this is Dr. Anthony Fauci. He served as President Biden's chief medical advisor and headed the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases for decades, uh, including under former President Trump. Uh, Dr. Fauci, uh, good to see you as always. Thanks so much for being with us. Um, President Biden, I guess you probably heard, said he hasn't decided whether he will sign this legislation. Uh, you were once his chief medical advisor. Would you advise him to do it? Well, Jim, I don't want to be advising him when I'm not in that position right now. I'm sure he's going to make the right decision. One thing we can say, we'd like to learn as much as we possibly can uh, about information that hopefully will be available. You know, there's this um, two sides, you know, one, pe one group says it more likely is one or the other. I must say that we all must keep an open mind, Jim, about this for sure, because nothing has been definitively Fight proven. Far right. I know you know that. Um, and we've seen Elon Musk tweet that his pronouns are prosecute uh, Fauci. Others in the GOP have talked about arresting you and prosecuting you. What's your response to that? And, and what has that been like for your family? Well, I mean, there's no response to that craziness, Jim. I mean, prosecute me for what? What are, what are they talking about? <laughs> I mean, I wish I could figure out what the heck they were talking about. I think they're just going off the deep end. That's the answer to your first question. It doesn't make any sense to say something like that, and it actually is irresponsible. Of course, it's going to have a difficult effect and a deleterious effect on my family. I mean, they don't like to have me getting death threats all the time. Every time somebody gets up and spouts some nonsense that's misinformation, disinformation, and outright lies, somebody somewhere decides 
they want to do harm to me and or my so there family. have been accidents in the lab that happens intermittently we've had experiences with that in modern times recently but there have never been a situation where a virus escaped from a lab that's a brand new virus that no one has ever seen before that led to a pandemic that is not happening. I look forward to Jim I'm going to go to Jim Jordan in just a minute addressing these issues. Um, I had Dr. Leonard Horowitz on my show just a couple days ago to get an update on where he, he thinks things are headed and how they're unfolding. And, um, you know, I said during the show that it was just a travesty that my little one horse radio show podcast was the only journalist interested in interviewing him about these matters. There is a guy on RBN, it sounds like he's got a weekly gig doing a podcast with him. But in terms of the media and alternative media, this man has largely been ignored. And he, he wrote the definitive book on AIDS and Ebola, Nature, Accident or Intentional, over a quarter century ago. He has the answer to the ultimate question. Did this come from nature? Did this come from a lab leak or was it intentional? And by his definition, his words, his research, it was absolutely intentional. He started with the AIDS virus and then worked his way to Ebola. These viruses are often deployed during election years. They are used to fear monger. They are used to mess with people's realities, frighten them. And they're big money-making scheme for the drug industrialists. And I've forgotten this, but I remembered reading a post I wrote in 2011. When President Obama was a state senator, uh, he indicated that he was interested in public health. And then he came in as a senator for his district in Illinois. And one of the first things he did was a bipartisan effort. I think it was with... Richard Luger, and it was $25 million of funding to help prepare for a pandemic, readiness for a pandemic, a global pandemic. So this is the one of the signature hallmark legislative efforts by Barack Obama was to help get them America ready. And everybody chortled and cheered with glee that it was bipartisan because that's how we get things done. So when he ran for president in 2011, we all know that he wanted to federalize healthcare, federalize the insurance industry, and have the taxpayers hand about 20 million people less expensive, affordable healthcare insurance. And he tanked the American economy doing that. Um, and again, always concerned about people's health, always concerned about doing the right thing for the right reasons and the medical mafia is standing in the background going cha-ching, cha-ching, cha-ching. In 2011, when he was running against Hillary Clinton in the primary, one of his platforms was he wanted to make all of our medical records digital. That was one of his goals. And when he came into office in 2012, uh, I guess he was, it was, no, it was earlier than that. It was like 
2009. Um, yeah, I'm getting the dates wrong. It was when he was running against Hillary in 2008 that he said these things. And then later in 2009, he made it one of his major goals to get all of the medical records digitized, especially mental health records. This is an old timey Marxist goal that the Soviets used to deal with their dissidents. They would either accuse them of being criminals against the state or insane. And the old Soviet system used mental hospitals like prisons, and they would bring political dissidents into these hospitals, medicate them heavily, and then problem dealt with. In America, we've had an overabundant effort by psychiatry to get similar machinations in place to deal with dissenters. That for those who we can't quite charge them with a crime and send them off to prison, which they're very happy to do based on the January 6th arrests, people being held without bail, without any sort of hastening of their court dates, just kind of stuck in limbo. They're happy to do that. But for those people who, you know, they can't quite get enough evidence of them being criminals, we're just going to slap you with a crazy designation and send you off to the local mental hospital. And so this is part of the big picture. And so you have this person in the form of Barack Obama obsessed with health care and making sure everybody is medically, digitally tracked. And this feeds into the greater narrative of the drug industrialists who are also the globalists who want to be in charge of everything, having everybody's records digitized. So here's Jim Jordan on Capitol Hill. Isn't he such a hero? I just love listening to him in action because he is so clear about what the issues are. He brought in the head of the CDC who shared the fact that he was not in communication with Dr. Fauci when so many important decisions were being made. So here is that testimony to finish up the show. Democrats tell us, focus on the future. Might have started in a lab, might have, might have happened in nature. But here's the question I keep coming up with. If, if it may have been a lab, may have been nature, we're supposed to look forward, then why did Dr. Fauci work so hard for just one of those theories? Why was it so important to push one over the other? Dr. Barris said, oh, we should entertain uh, all hypotheses. Dr. Fauci had his, uh, his hypothesis, how this started. We should entertain all of them. But that's not what happened. That is definitely not what happened. Three years ago, if you thought it came from a lab, if you raised that, you were called a nut job. You got censored on Twitter. You were blacklisted on Twitter. You were even called a crackpot by the very scientist who in late January sent emails to Dr. Fauci and said it came from a lab. They called you crackpot. Is that right, Dr. Redfield? I think the most upsetting thing to me was the uh, Baltimore Sun calling me a racist because I said this came from a Wuhan lab. Dr. Reptile, you, you're, uh, you, you ran the CDC and you were on the Coronavirus Task Force, is that right? Correct. That was formed on January 29, 2020, is that right? Correct. Two days later, Dr. Fauci gets an email from Dr. Anderson which says what? Virus looks engineered, virus not consistent with evolutionary theory. Is that accurate? 
That's my understanding. Next day, I know. Did he share that email with you, by the way, Dr. Redfield? No. As a member of the task force, as a head of CDC, did he share that email with you? No. Okay. Next day, February 1st, Dr. Gary sends Dr. Fauci another email. That email says, I don't know how this happens in nature, but it would be easy to do in a lab. Did he share that email with you, Dr. Redfield? You didn't see either one of those emails, even though you're head of CDC, even though you're on the coronavirus task force that had been formed just two days, three days earlier. No. Three days later, Dr. Anderson and Dr. Gary, who told us it came from a lab and emails to Dr. Fauci that Dr. Fauci wouldn't let Dr. Redfield see. Three days later, they changed their position 180 degrees. The question is why? Mr. Wade, why would they change their position that fast when the only intervening event is a conference call with Dr. Fauci, the guy who wouldn't let Dr. Redfield see the very emails that they had sent him, Dr. Redfield, head of CDC on the coronavirus task force. Why would they change their position, Dr. Wade, or Mr. Wade? Uh, well, this question does lie at the heart of the um, issue. Uh, what is pertinent, it seems to me, is there's, there's no new scientific evidence that we can see that came uh, available between these dates, the January 31st and Feb 4. Right, there's no new, I think you're, go ahead. So you have to ask if there were other uh, other kinds of influence uh, available. <clears throat> now, it is true that, that <clears throat> Dr. Fauci and Dr. Farry in London were very powerful research officials, and between them, they controlled... I read, I read your testimony. I saw okay. that. Yeah. So... Why don't you uh, cut to the chase and tell them what, what you really think was the reason? <laughs> I don't know what, what the reason was. I, I know what it was. I... Go well, ahead. no, go ahead. Go ahead. I'll let you say because I read your testimony. I think you, you said it in your testimony, too. Maybe you're reluctant <clears throat> to say it here, but go ahead. Well, if you're looking at the timeline on um, May 21st, um, just uh, a few weeks after the Nature, Medi- uh, the, the Nature Medicine article had come out, uh, two of the signatures of the original email to uh, Dr. Fauci, that, that's Dr. Anderson and Dr. Gary, were awarded a $9 million so there's nine million reasons why they changed their mind i knew you'd get to it i read that last night three months after so three days after they say it came from a lab they changed their position and the only intervening events a conference call with dr fauci and dr collins again a call that mr redfield was not allowed to be on the head of cdc and on the coronavirus task force and then three months later shazam they get nine million bucks from dr fauci well isn't that something isn't that something that's why we want to talk to these guys that's why chairman winstrom wants to bring in dr anderson and dr gary and ask them a series of questions so we can get to the bottom of this so we can move forward and deal with this but here's the key question look i don't i'm not i'm just a common sense guy from ohio i i well i was i majored in wrestling in college but i got a degree in economics you're supposed to get a degree when you go to college i got one in economics and one of the things they tell you about is a thing called opportunity cost So when you're spending your time making sure that the country believes only one of these theories, you could have been doing what Dr. Redfield was doing in our government, trying to figure out how we deal with this virus. And what was what was Dr. Fauci doing? He was trying to cover his backside and everybody knows it. And that's the part that ticks us off because this is the highest paid guy in our government getting all kinds of money to tell us things that were not accurate because we now know. U.S. tax dollars went to a lab in China, a lab that was not up to code, a lab that was doing gain-of-function research, and that's where this thing most definitely came from. And Dr. Fauci had to prove, no, no, he can't have that news getting out. And that's why he did what he did to the exclusion of a brilliant guy running our CDC, kept him out of the loop. Keeping him out of the loop probably potentially could have harmed America. 
That's the thing that ticks us all off. And that's why, Mr. Chairman, this, this hearing is so darn important. And we get to the bottom of really what happened. I yield back. That was Jim Jordan on Capitol Hill talking to the director of the CDC and just laying out the facts. And I want to challenge you, Jim Jordan, anyone else interested, to invite my friend Dr. Leonard Horowitz to come testify about what he knew 25 years ago. He predicted this. He's been spitting in the wind, yelling to anyone interested, hey, this is a thing. This is going on. They're not going to stop. They're going to keep going. And I think it's a, it's a blight on our journalism class that nobody has done any sort of definitive interview with Dr. Horowitz. So I see you down there, Bill. Do you want to come on the show? Hi, thanks for playing that. Yeah, I was um, putting some stuff in your live chat that's supportive. Um, and uh, let me cover. Can you hear me okay? Yeah, yeah. you sound great. Cover okay. whatever you want. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, well, the Truth Snitch article I was putting in, it goes back several decades where Congress knew the VAERS system, the Vaccine Adverse Events Reporting System, was severely flawed, and they were only getting, according to the Harvard Pilgrim study, like 1% of vaccine adverse events. And so they allocated millions of dollars, but nothing improved. And so that's the Truth Snitch article. I was about to add some, like, copy some text. I just didn't finish. But that's the first one. The next one is the Brooks Jackson Pfizer slash D Department of Defense uh, case. Uh, that's a rumble video with Viva Free and attorney Robert Burns talking about on March 1st, there was a hearing. Of course, the government, I'm sorry, Pfizer put in a motion for dismissal. The most bizarre defense is they can't be held accountable and I'm Give you a thumbnail version because the government was aware of their fraud or something. I don't know. It's so extraneous and bizarre. But uh, the bottom line is Robert Barnes is sticking to the fact that the contract uh, that for Pfizer to the government was that they provide a vaccine that, first of all, pre prevented transmission, which, of course, they never tested for, right? And that it prevented infection, which it doesn't do either of those things, and that it was safe. And we're learning that, of course, it's had more vaccine-averse events than all other vaccines combined by far and through history. You know what I mean? And that's with the VAR system we have, which is completely inadequate. You know what I mean? So who knows what the real numbers are? Anyway, moving on from that, we have Dr. Andrew Huff, who was with EcoAlliance, the former vice president of EcoAlliance, uh, an army veteran. He's got a new book out. He's put out from Simon and Schuster, The Truth About Wuhan, How I Uncovered the Biggest Lie in History. Dr. Huff reported to Dr. Peter Dazak of EcoHealth Alliance, the, the notorious doctor who sent funding dollars to Wuhan research labs. And here he is exposing all this. And this is a, uh, gateway pundit, uh, link that has documents to boot in a seven minute video but i also put in a video where he dr huff is uh, it's a 52 minute video regarding him 
describing this in much more detail to Children's Health Defense Fund, which is Bobby Kennedy's organization. So, uh, and just something about Dozak, because yeah. he's he's literally the embodiment of we have investigated ourselves and found that we did nothing wrong. Yeah, of because, course, because he was the one sent over to Wuhan when everybody was like, "What's going on?" Came back and said, "No, it wasn't a lab leak." Right, right, right. No, no, it was NIAID, right? National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Disease, NIH, through Fauci, where, you know, the FOIA hearing emails expose all this, eco-alliance. So basically, we were doing this gain-of-function research here originally in the United States biolabs. I believe Fort Detrick, if I'm not mistaken, and DARPA was involved. Um from, you know, of course, I'm not going to hear that from the mainstream media. But anyway, and then when it was determined it was too risky here, and Obama signed some moratorium on it, that's when the money went to Wuhan. So we we brought that over there. You see what I'm saying? This is the information I have, and, and uh, the, the, and, it's and stuff I've heard from Steve Bannon's show, War Room, the various researchers he's had on. Um, and also John Solomon stuff over at his Just the News site, very similar stories, and Epoch Times, same same people, same same narrative, and it's Good. time it's time for some of these people to be arrested. Oh, I agree. Uh, I don't know that we'll see it, but uh, oh, oh, I know what I wanted to add. Thank you for reminding that. You know, Dr. David Martin, right? The guy who's like the red pill guy who's, who's, uh, knows about all the patents and all that jazz. And he's been talking about this with Steve Kirsch and, oh, he's been on, he's been interviewed by a lot of people. And, uh, so I've, I've he. I've heard of him, but I, I don't follow Steve Kirsch or there's too, there's too many people to follow. Yeah, well, that's true. There's a lot of good people. But what I'm, what I'm going to put here is, hold on a minute. Let's see. There's an Adobe Acrobat. I made a, uh, a, a, what do you call it? Just a file there. And then, and then here, this is interesting. I think you'll really find this interesting. So this is a summary, but there's, there's more to it. This is just what I could copy, you know, in the little window you get when you want to copy something to the, to the, uh, uh, a clip tray. But anyway, so here we are. The United States, uh, uh, let's see, uh, courts, United States of America, Attorney General, anyway. So this is, uh, Dr. Uh, David Martin and some other doctors have gotten together to work on lawsuits and sue our government. But, uh, what they're citing is, uh, defendants are, Alex Azar, Anthony Fauci, Peter Daszak, CDC defendant Moderna, defendant Ralph Barrick, defendant FDA, defendant NIAID, defendant Pfizer, defendant, and what they're citing is the federal crime statutes that are violated, uh, and uh, from terrorism to conspiring to commit acts of terrorism to conspiring to commit, uh, uh, criminal, uh, commercial activity, funding, and creating a biological weapon. Uh, and it goes on. There's also uh, uh, sedition. And what amounts to treason, really? So those are the accusations that hasn't been proven in court. Not that I trust our courts, but anyway, those are the accusations. It's like we got somebody who's countering us with 
why gain of function research matters, gain of function research advances knowledge saves lives. Well, let me respond to that because according to the uh, Andrew Huff of Eco Alliance, that gain of function research, as they estimated, that would be 150,000 years of advancement to get that um, um, virus. In other words, it's the infinitesimal chance that that would occur in nature that way with that uh, Farron Cleavage site, which, by the way, there's a patent on it. Apparently, Moderna had in 2016, and Dr. Robert uh, Redfield cites that he saw that it was obviously created in the lab based on 2014 reports that that he had uh, was aware of. So, uh, at any rate, and then the chances of it then coming up randomly uh, with between bats and pangolins and humans is infinitesimal. So, uh, you know, there's a lot of people questioning that narrative, my friend, about gain of function or whether or not it's something that should be done at all. Uh, because there's been no evidence, according to the people I've been following, like Andrew Hoff and others, that gain of function has ever saved a life, according to them. It's never produced a vaccine that has ever been utilized through gain of function research. So, so Tim, why don't you come up and join the conversation? I'd love to hear your thoughts. Um, William and I have decided views on this, but we're always open to debate. And rather than just drop all your links in the chat, why don't you just come talk to us? Um, as I stated earlier in the show, I had Dr. Leonard Horowitz on my show a couple of days ago. Oh, you're at work. Okay, that's cool. Um, he wrote the definitive book on emerging viruses, outed Dr. Fauci as one of the sources for the AIDS virus, which did not occur in nature. It didn't come from monkeys. AIDS, AIDS was spread through the hepatitis B vaccine. That is a fact. And so this man has been doing this type of work for over 40 years. It's time for the truth to come out. It's time for him to be held accountable. And I shared a clip earlier in the show before you guys all showed up of him being interviewed by Jim Acosta at CNN. And he was very indignant that people like Elon Musk were calling for him to be arrested. I'm still waiting for Elon to drop the Fauci files on Twitter. You know, he said he was going to do it back in January. We're in March now. And I think that's just going to be a doozy to see what was happening on Twitter tied to Dr. Anthony Fauci. So, Bill, you have any more thoughts before I wind down the show? Well, I was just adding uh, some information. I got off WebMed and also uh, the uh, NIH Open Access Medical Journal PubMed that people may want to be aware of. I'm a little, hang on a second. Let me see what I got here. This has to do with um, elderberry being an antiviral that's very effective. Oh, did I get that all in? I'm trying to just see what I got here. Uh, verse, uh, flu and cold viruses and also, did I get the WebMed one in? Yeah. Just make people aware, um, that apparently raw elderberry, um, like, uh, depending on what part of the plant you use, if you're using the berry, just like apple seeds, you wouldn't want to eat apple seeds because of the um, cyanide type. You know, you have to eat a lot of them, but, you know, you're not supposed to eat apple seeds. It, um, arsenic, cyanide type stuff. The same, with, the same thing with cherry seeds and peach seeds. It's the same thing with the elderberry 
berry seeds. So just be aware if you're going to use elderberry, if you, some people like to use and think that the raw is more uh, potent, but you need to make a tea out of it. You got to boil it. The heat destroys, apparently, from what I gather reading all this, the heat destroys that problem. If you want to use raw, I just want to caution people with that. I always just, I, 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 you know what, Jenny, I learned about elderberry 25 odd years ago. My little brother, well, little brother, uh, we're older now. I'm 62, he's 52. Anyway, but he was flying all over the place for his work and he had three kids and he was complaining to me when his kids were little. They're all grown up going to college and everything. Now, he says, Bill, I'm constantly sick. I said, you hear about elderberry, Ricky? He's like, no. And I said, well, I've learned about it. It seems to help everybody I've suggested to found that worked. So he says, I'll try it. So then I hear from him, I don't know, about a month, six weeks later. And he says, boy, I'm really glad you told me that. It really works. I always hear positive feedback. I just buy mine through, you know, online sources or the health food store. And then if you have any questions about it, uh, read the articles. I'm not a doctor, but, uh, you know, all I can share is my own personal experience, and I'm grateful I've learned about it because that's the first thing I started taking when I heard about this COVID thing. I was like, well, I'll just start taking my elderberry. You know what I mean? And uh, I've been sick twice. Uh, I get colds now and then, you know, but uh, nothing beyond that. And uh, sounds uh, like you, you know, sounds I, like you got a little cold right now. Got I, you know what happened, Jenny? You're very, very perceptive. I. I have vitamin D3, but I don't get outside because, you know, I'm housebound. So I have my D3 and I have my zinc. And sometimes you know, I don't like swallowing pills. It's weird. It's stupid, but it's true. I like chewing like raw the nuts and stuff. But I don't. So sometimes, I, you know what happened? I, I hadn't been sick in over a year. And I got a little lazy. I'm like, geez, I haven't been sick in so long. And I backed off take. The, the zinc and the selenium and vitamin D3, and sure enough, I got a head cold. I was like, oh, well, I guess it worked. I should have kept taking it. So now I, I you know. My philosophy on all of that, especially with those, you know, types of viruses, is it's good for you, your immune system to have a workout every once in a while. Yeah. So yeah. I never get nervous when we get something that's passed around the family, for example. You know, it's just a good time for your immune system to kind of get triggered and kick in. And that's always good for down the road. So um, this show was dedicated to sharing the news clips from President Biden and Janet Yellen, which showed up over the weekend about the economy. Everybody should be assured the economy is doing great. We have nothing to fear. They said so. And why would they lie? So I encourage you to go back and listen to the beginning of the show and listen to their words. I am being highly sarcastic because while they assured us that Monday morning things were going to look better, the the markets right now all over the world are going bananas. So, you know, I would say buckle up, maybe put in a little bit of food storage just to be sure. Maybe have a little bit of your own cash on hand just to pay your bills, and we'll see how this thing unfolds. Any other final words, William? I'm going to wind it down now. Well, I think it's good to see these House hearings, these uh, subcommittee hearings, and on Twitter, on COVID, this needs to come out. You know, uh, we can't have 
restriction of freedom of speech and, and medical ideas. Everybody, we, don't you remember, Jenny? We're always told, get a couple of opinions, decide what you want to do. You're the one who has to choose what course you take with your health care. Nobody else. It's up to you individually. That's so true. we need that information to be freely exchanged. And it's not up to CDC or the World Economic Forum or the World Health Organization or the United Nations to claim what is information and disinformation. That that violates the very essence of our Constitution. Well, First one of the points, one of the points that Matt made during the hearing, Matt Taibbi, is that well, it's great for private companies to be able to deplatform whoever they want. They were being asked to do this by people funded by the American taxpayers, the Aspen yeah. Institute, all these organizations that are <laughs> supposedly non-governmental bodies who yep. get huge portions of their budget from the government. It was these entities who were saying, yeah, take that anti-vaxxer down, go silence that voice, Robert Kennedy Jr., others. Yep. I, my vaccine activism is why I was kicked off of many spaces, and I believe it's my investigation into this crime scene in Utah right now around this one prosecutor and David Hamblin, who's been arrested, a therapist, child trafficking, all sorts of evil going on in the state of Utah that they tried to cover up. I was covering that as a journalist, an indie journalist, and I believe it was my use of Twitter to out all of that stuff that finally got me to platform permanently from Twitter. I still haven't gotten my Twitter account back, even with Elon owning it and me requesting three times, could you please put it back? Wow. I'm still out here in the wilderness hoping to get it back. But when Matt made that point, it was the response of the Democrats on the panel that really got my ire up because they were so condescending and rude to him. Yep. And and they were just like not talking about what the real issues are. They wanted to shoot the messengers and deflect and call it all a conspiracy theory and how dare Elon Musk do this and this and this. And it was like they did not want to talk about the matter at hand, which is, in fact, the censoring of many of us who were engaging in what I would term authentic and legitimate journalism being deplatformed. So um, I'm, I'm excited just to have that hearing happen, I think, was a miracle. The Twitter files themselves are an absolute miracle. And I thank Elon Musk for opening up this crime scene and letting us all have a peek in. If he hadn't bought Twitter, this never would have come out. Yeah, God bless him for that. And I 100% agree with you. And it, this is, you see, what they did there was attack the messenger because that's the only defense they had. They could have talked about the facts. You know what I mean? Oh, no, we're not going to go there. The, you know funniest I mean? thing, the funniest thing that Debbie Wasserman Schultz said is that, you know, the FBI was there because they were there to, to look after the bad guys and deal with the bad guys on Twitter. They okay. had a reason to be there. And I'm like, that is the most pathetic defense. I mean, you know, God bless the FBI. But if they had a time in their history, when they, then they were, looked worse than right now today with all the many scandals. You know, they were just doing their job. I'm like, give me a break. Um, let's remember the FBI there is to protect the establishment. Just remember the Nasser. The girls, those poor girls, when they originally reported the sexual abuse they were experiencing, the Olympic girls, and that got buried for a long time, and another 70 girls were abused by that man by the time that eventually 
broke. That was the, the gymnast doctor in Michigan. Yep. But yeah. the original reports by the six girls got buried. And then this whole thing ensued for a lot longer until that finally got clamped out on. You know what I mean? The, the, well, the, I, watched, I watched an old interview with Ron Paul, like early 90s. And he made the claim, and I had never heard this, but that the precursor to the FBI was started to go after anti-war activists during yep. World War One. Yep. World yep. War One. Anybody who stood up, they were investigated by these federal police. Yep. And then that morphed into the FBI. And I did not know that history. Oh well, I got one for you, real quick. The uh, let's see, the uh, Catholic Church hired Kathleen McChesney, a former uh, FBI uh, assistant executive director, uh, in the year two thousand. She's been with them over twenty years, and she's still saying there needs to be transparency and accountability. Okay, Kathleen, you know the establishment and the FBI are are hand in glove. Yeah, you see what happens? Yep. Well, and they protect them. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I hope as as the country renews, and I do think we are going to have a renewal of the American Republic, and it's going to become better and brighter than we've ever seen it before. But before it can renew, we have to address these types of scandals. Because oh, yeah. you cannot have a medical police state controlling everybody's speech no. and have a free republic. It's not going to work. So thanks, everybody who showed up. Does anybody else want to make a comment? All right. I'm going to shut the show down. I hope you all have a wonderful day. I will see you back tomorrow. Thank you, Jenny. God bless. Thanks, Bill.